Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today for our special insert on International Women's Day is the Ambassador of Finland to South Africa and non-resident Ambassador of Finland to Botswana, Lesotho and Mauritius, Anne Lamila. Welcome to the show, Ambassador. Thank you for joining us in our special feature for International Women's Day. Well, uh, thank you very much. I'm uh, very glad to be in. Ambassador, the theme for United Nations Women's International Day is gender equality today for a sustainable tomorrow. Please, can you tell us how you interpret this year's theme for International Women's Day? I think it's a very good theme. To me, the significance must be that you have to include women and girls in issues for the world to be sustainable. And uh, not just them, because uh, when we are speaking about gender, we, we shouldn't forget our LGBTIQ community. They also need to be involved in the work towards a more sustainable tomorrow. When I think about International Women's Day, we've got a series of, of global events, be it International Women's Day, be it 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence, as well as National Awareness Days in the, the South African context, Women's Day. How effective do you think that these types of campaigns are to drive a positive direction for women and minority groups, as you say? Uh, yes, uh, if speaking about uh, South Africa, I, I think that uh, the situation of women in South Africa has never been easy, but uh, somehow it has uh, improved over the years. I personally think that it's very important to raise awareness on issues affecting women and girls. And even uh, your president, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, speaks about that. And he has established this uh, gender-based violence fund to address the scourge of uh, gender-based violence and uh, femicide in South Africa. And uh, I think it's really important to speak about these issues. It's not only in South Africa that you have uh, gender-based violence, violence against women. It's all over the world, including my own country, Finland. And that's why we should speak about that. And not just when we have the campaigns, but uh, we should speak about them constantly. Many times uh, the problems faced by women, they are even more uh, severe when we speak about black women, they continue to be the face of poverty somehow. Then we have the impact of COVID-19. That has also highlighted the role of women as caregivers and as educators, women doing double job. They don't just do their ordinary work, but they, they work very hard at home. When you talk about women doing their double job, the reality is that only half of that double job gets paid for because the work that they do in the home is unpaid labor, but still so critically important. You are absolutely right. And when we think of uh, international statistics, that doesn't show at all. And uh, it's a pity. But I, I think there are some attempts to take this unpaid work uh, into account. It should absolutely be, be included because it's a very precious uh, work as well. 
and uh, families need that. You were drawing some contrasts between South Africa and Finland, your home country, with regards to gender-based violence as, as one example. Every year, there's the Global Gender Gap Report, which is published by the World Economic Forum. And the most recent one was, was last year, 2021. And the Nordic countries tend to lead as the most gender equal countries. In the last report, Iceland was first, followed by Finland, Norway third, Sweden comes in at fifth. According to this report, these countries only have an estimated 15% gender gap to close. What are some of the lessons that other countries can take from Finland to realistically reduce the gender equality gap and move from gender equality in theory, because there's a lot of it in theory and constitutional papers documenting that countries are equal, but putting gender equality into real practice? Yes, uh, thank you very much. I think uh, Finland uh, has the advantage that we have started very early on. We started already at the end of uh, the 19th century. And what was essential at that time was that the women came together. They uh, started to build uh, associations for women. And uh, the idea was to defend uh, the rights of women, full uh, political rights, full uh, rights in economy, and also for women to be active in all spheres of society. So we started early, but I think uh, the lesson to learn is that women need to get together to defend their rights. Other lesson is that they do need to be uh, active in political life. That's important because in the parliaments, you, you make the legislation and you need to have legislation that answers to the worries and to the needs of uh, women. And normally when women are fighting for something, it's not only for themselves, but it's for their whole family, for people around them, for people in the society. So uh, that's the other lesson. So to be politically active. And a lesson to learn from Finland, I would say, is that we uh, emphasize uh, political activism uh, in uh, the municipal level. And that's uh, kind of an easier playground to start with. So you can uh, uh, attract uh, young women to come uh, to politics when, uh, when they start uh, at the lower level, at the municipal level, which is still very important because they decide about education and about uh, healthcare. But they learn their, some political uh, experience and then they can go further. Like in our case, our Prime Minister, Sanna Marin, who has been so skillful uh, and she's had a hard time with COVID, uh, now with the situation in Ukraine. She's a tough lady. And where did she learn her lessons? That was in the, in the city of Tampere. She was chairing the municipal council. So uh, that's very important to, to emphasize that uh, start somewhere and uh, don't uh, expect to start right at the top. You, you need to, um, to start uh, at the lower level. So uh, why is it important to have women in politics is uh, exactly what I said. Um, in Finland, for example, law and compulsory attendance at school in 1921, and we have health care, we have uh, elderly people's care, we have uh, early childhood uh, education, etc. So uh, those are lessons uh, to learn to, to my mind. But of course, there are, there are many others. And I think South Africa is very well posed because your women are active. Uh, they have come together. They defend common cause. 
so all the all the building blocks are there. Uh, you just need to go forward. I, I think here what I have found is the paternalistic attitude, but uh, also uh, I think there are quite a few women who have fought uh, to soften the situation. And you have to speak to men because uh, men should be involved. And that's also one uh, one lesson maybe. As soon as men see that it's very useful to have women around, like you have the World Economic Forum that has made uh, many, many studies which show that uh, societies where women are involved are uh, much more prosperous, they are much more sustainable, they do bigger profits, if you would like to put it that way. (laughs) You have clearly demonstrated One, the evidence of um, having women within different structures, be it political, be it academic, uh, or the business environment. Sana Marin is a a perfect example of a young woman with political leadership, and I think an example to set for for the rest of the world to, to aspire to. It's wonderful that you see fundamental building blocks in place from a South African point of view, and potentially that's a trend which goes across other countries. But I think the importance here is it's good having the building blocks, but you've got to make those building blocks work and go and build something. They can't just remain blocks in isolation. Well, of course, uh, as always, <laughs> you are right. And uh, I, I see that you you are trying to find uh, the secret uh, solution to how uh, to put uh, these good ideas into practice. I don't know, just do it. I mean, women, just, uh, just do it. That would be my, <laughs> my take. As simple as that. And Ambassador, can you please use this platform to tell us about a few female change agents or tra- trailblazers in Finland? Yeah, there are lots of them. Uh, I, I couldn't start without mentioning Minna Kant. She, she was a journalist and writer at the end of uh, the 19th century. Uh, she fought for a right for education for women, for women to have uh, to say in the family, because at that time uh, women couldn't own a- anything. They were under the patronage of their fathers or their brothers. Uh, So she kind of wrote about the problems, raised the issues. Uh, She spoke about uh, moral conceptions because at that time it was uh, totally okay for a man to have wild sexual behavior. When it was woman, that was immorality or lack of chastity. Uh, So she spoke about that. She was a a wealthy woman, so she was privileged. But we we also had uh, those poorer women. And uh, I would like to mention one uh, whose name is Mina Silampa. She was born in the famine year 1866 in a family of, of nine children. And uh, she had to go to work at the age of 12. She was in a textile factory. Then later on, she, she got kind of a cleaner job. Uh, she could work as a domestic uh, worker. She, she educated herself. You know, she didn't have a chance to go to school because we didn't have really uh, schools everywhere. We did have them somewhere, but not in in the countryside, in in small cities. She was a civilized person and uh, she founded an association for domestic workers to defend their rights because they had very few rights. 
they were working in a family environment. The master of the house uh, often uh, took advantage. They got pregnant, those were women, and they were accused of uh, immorality. They were kicked out of the family. Uh, nobody was defending them. So Mina Silamba defended them. And eventually he, she got into politics. She was one of the 20 uh, women who got into the first uh, parliament uh, in 1907. Finland was still under the Russian rule. And uh, then, there she started to fight uh, for uh, women's rights. In 1926, she be became Minister for social, social Affairs. So she's definitely a role model. But then, uh, um, because we shouldn't always uh, look at the history, we also have uh, role models, uh, strong, uh, strong women or girls uh, in our society nowadays. So, you know, in Finland, we have, for example, quite a quite an important Somali uh, minority. They have uh, escaped uh, war in Somalia. Now we have, for example, Salado Kasim, uh, whose parents moved uh, from Somalia to Finland in 1990s. And uh, she has seven siblings. Uh, she's uh, from a family which is not rich. But uh, she was lucky enough to, to do well in the school. She had uh, teachers who encouraged her. And she became the first one in her family to have a uh, higher education. And uh, uh, she was uh, very grateful for that opportunity. And so she thought she would like to help her peers uh, who, who didn't have the courage to apply for the uh, higher education studies and uh, she founded an organization that helps uh, other people like her. Uh, they have mentoring, they have courses, peer help, and they, they try to, the association uh, tries to find solutions for problems that the students face every day. They also have a, a project of bilingual books, like uh, books in Finnish and Som Somali, because uh, in practice, uh, a young uh, as, person whose parents are Somalis, they don't write so well in Somali because uh, they had to learn how to write in Finnish, in English, uh, etc. And uh, I think that's very encouraging. And, and she is a perfect uh, role model for uh, many young people in Finland. Thanks for sharing that cross-section from the past to the future and the diversity of, of women in Finland. Lastly, as we close out your segment, please can you share a, a message for International Women's Day? Okay. <laughs> so I think we need to encourage young girls to dream and believe in themselves. And it's an, it is the role of uh, us parents, mothers and fathers. It's a role of educators to treat boys and girls equally. And uh, now that I'm speaking about boys and girls, I also speak about gender minorities because everybody needs to be uh, treated uh, in a fair way. So what we need is a different attitude towards children, independent on if they are boys or girls or uh, other sex. So uh, these uh, attitudes that we are having are subconscious, like boys like cars and mathematics. Girls love to play with dolls and are not good in mathematics. So recognizing these biases helps us to change our behavior. So I, I believe very much on uh, everybody working on themselves 
and uh, and then trying to change uh, their behavior and attitudes. And lastly, uh, I would say uh, in the, for all women and men in the world on the day uh, International Women's Day, we need both women and men, girls and boys, all genders, to build a more sustainable world that is resistant to climate change. We need all, all of us, not just uh, half of the of the mankind or humankind, as we say nowadays, but uh, the whole of it. <laughs> that is a wonderful, inclusive message. Thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, as always, to, to host you. And happy Women's Day. Thank you, and happy Women's Day for you and for everybody. That was the ambassador of Finland to South Africa, Ambassador Anne Lamila. Hi, this is Lyra, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Joining us next in our special series for International Women's Day 2022 is High Court Judge Tando Manghe from the Mpumalanga Division of the High Court. Judge Manghe, in the short term, what types of mechanisms do you think could be used to reduce inequalities that women still experience today? Thank you, Dr. Samalka. One of them is I've already I, I have spoke to it um, that women should um, be given opportunities. South Africa, for an example, it is still difficult to have a female president. For an example, in twenty years of democracy, I mean twenty years, if we are still struggling to move towards that direction of acknowledging that we can even have a woman president. Imagine what is happening in the other in the other structures. Men in a legal world, they have, in my view, a responsibility to come up with ways of supporting women to gain power and have control of their own lives in the way that will make sure that they, they overflow to other women who are not even aware that there is such an, a platform that has been open. Not only men, even women, people who are, leader, who are in leadership positions in this country, starting with the courts itself, the decisions that they make, it must speak to that to say it is discouraged at all costs to make sure that women are being deprived opportunities to be in decision-making structures, decision-making positions, Judgments and rulings should also speak to such things. So education is one of them, making sure that even the language we speak in the, in the politics, language you speak in courts, language you speak in the normal civil organization structures, it should speak to that, Dr. Malka, in my view. And in my view, that's what will reduce inequality. And repeating it all the time as we have conversations, it will make sure that the inequalities will die down one day. I have got no doubt. Saying things over and over again and using appropriate language 
is really what helps to penetrate people's thinking. And I can't help but think about the Nordic countries, in, in particular Norway, which has had several female presidents. And when you use our reference point of the fact that we've had over 26 years of democracy now, and we still haven't got a view of, of a female president in our country. And I'll never forget uh, in conversation with one of the Norwegian ambassadors, she was relaying a story where a little boy said to his mother, mommy, can boys be presidents? And it was just of this view that he had been in a world where there had been female presidents of countries. So in his mind, presidents were women. Wow. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine and that speaks to this fact of having visibility, of having presence, of the impact that visual identities have on people. It's so true, especially on children. It's very true. And, and remember, children is our investment. If we invest right and plant right to the children, I'm telling you, the process of, 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 those, of those seeds developing and they, it, it, they develop with that in their mind that everyone is equal. Women are equal to men. Men are equal to women. I am so sure that in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the line, our generations to come, they will see a different world from what we are seeing. But if we are doing nothing about it, they are bound to be fighting the very same fights that we're still fighting now. Judge Manke, can you please tell us about uh, some of the women who've been important role models or influences in your life? You know, I do not put a name into faces right now because I cannot remember their names. But it is those women who wake up as early as 3 a.m., need those fed cooks, take them to the bus rink, take them to the uh, train station, sell to people early hours, cold winter nights, to be in a position to feed their children, to be in a position to take their children to school. Some of them, it's illiterate women who today have judges as children. Those to me are women that I look up to. I cannot put name right now into their faces, but I know them. As I speak to you, I even remember those go-go's that I can, I am referring you to. Those are the people that have inspired me. I do have a lot in the legal fraternity. In fact, to tell the truth, all female judges in South Africa, to me, they are those women in my life because I know how difficult and how hard it has been for them to be where they are today. And what would you like your legacy to be? My legacy, one, it will be to make sure that when I'm no longer here, I have multiplied. I have people who are speaking the same language as me, the same language of making sure that justice is taken to the ordinary people, to the poorest of the poor. I will make sure, I will know that I would have multiplied. Those people who make sure that one, they give each other opportunities to excel. Two, they support and value others' uh, other strengths. Three, um, they grasp the opportunities that are afforded to, the, to, 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 give, to um, given to them. They run with those opportunities with gratitude and with humility. To me, that would be the legacy that I would have left. And by then, I would have multiplied. That's such a wonderful gesture and vision, which has a 
amplification effect. Finally, as we close off today's conversation and in recognition of Women's Month, please, can you share a few words of inspiration or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to girls and women who are listening to us on the continent? I want to say to them, let us plant right so that even our generations to come can benefit from the seeds that we are planting now. I want to say, let's do that with love, with humility, with integrity. But in particular to women in law, I want to say to them, let us support one another. Let us be considerate to one another. Let us be sensitive to one another's issues. Let us make sure that as we march towards this success that we shall see one day, that we do everything with hard work, integrity, humility. And they must always remember that when we are a woman in law, it's not about glitz and glam. It's not about making money. It's about working hard in serving the people of your country. That's all that I can uh, uh, say to them. Thank you for that beautiful, inspiring, practical message. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. It is my greatest pleasure, Dr. Malka. I really appreciate it. And it was lovely speaking to you. Thank you for the energy that you've brought to the show, the love and the dynamic of, of servant leadership. It, it really has been inspirational. I really, really appreciate it. And the pleasure is all mine, Dr. Malka. Thank you so much. That was High Court Judge Tando Mankhe from the Mpumalanga Division of the High Court. Hi, my name is Yvonne Chakachaka and I'm UNICEF and Rollback Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. A program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division and gender-based violence. Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Balka every week on this day at this time. Joining us next in our special series for International Women's Day 2022 is Dr. Melinda Souchard, who is the head of the Center for Vaccines and Immunology in the National Institute for Communicable Disease and lectures in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Witwatersrand. Dr. Souchard... In your view, in the short term, what types of mechanisms do you think could be used to help reduce the inequalities that women experience? You know, in my field, um, in fact, there are often more women than men. So I work in the medical uh, diagnostics world. And what you often find um, in this environment is, in fact, uh, the the career path is chosen uh, more uh, by, by women applicants than by male applicants. Um, and I think having women examples uh, is very helpful uh, because a lot of um, what people learn, they learn through osmosis and through absorbance of culture rather than by anything that is taught to them or told to them verbally. So seeing women in leadership positions makes it very normal for those that follow them. Um, and that's something that I think is evolving with time uh, and still is less um, common in, in other disciplines. Uh, but I think um, we are heading in South Africa in the right trajectory. 
we need to role model uh, leaders so that for young women it is not something unexpected or it's not something that is foreign to their, their DNA and their culture. Uh, they will just absorb it uh, through their everyday interactions with, with colleagues. Having said that, um, even though the laboratory diagnostic environment is um, more heavily populated by women, we often do see that there's a disproportional amount of male uh, leaders. And I think um, sometimes that, that relates to um, personality types and, and almost um, someone once described it to me as uh, a little bit biological, right? Uh, often there's an alpha male who likes to be the leader of a pack and there's a whole lot of support to females who um, are quite happy to take the back seat and let him lead and don't want to challenge authority, don't want to um, step up and lead. Uh, and it's useful when someone points that out to you so that you can see it yourself, um, because then you start to interrogate it a little bit more as, as the status quo and whether it should really be there. Um, so the, the, yeah, so I think we, we do need to be aware of the fact of gender biases and gender stereotypes and to question it within our own DNA and within our own um, cultural assumptions and how our family hierarchies worked, um, because it does play out uh, in the workplace. And, um, you know, once we're alerted to it, it's much easier to sort of see it and uh, break it down and to challenge it where, where required. And for individuals to realize that um, they can step up and they're as qualified to lead as any other male who might be um, perhaps louder or bolder or, um, you know, more of an extrovert in, in their environment. So, um, yes, I think uh, number one is let's have women in leadership roles because that um, models it for the younger individuals coming. And number two is let's talk about it more so that um, women are aware of it and they are aware to challenge their own internal um, barriers and um, break, break through them and um, be very self-aware and self-critical of what they think is holding them back. Um, because often it's, 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 it's their own um, hurdles, it's their own barriers that, that is the real barrier rather than any actual um, workplace barrier. I think those are going to be some of my most important takeouts of today's conversation about the self-limitations that one puts upon herself and taking stock of old or pervasive social norms and realizing that actually this isn't necessarily the way that the world should continue to run. Exactly. Exactly. It's around um, giving women the confidence to know that they can um, do it, they can do leadership roles, and there's no need for them uh, to do so in a masculine way. They will find their own um, place and their own, their own type, and uh, if the opportunity knocks, they should um, step up. We're coming towards the latter part of the show, and in this section, I, I tend to ask guests more of a personal perspective. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you now is about your personal journey and factors for success. Many of our guests who've reached tremendous achievements in their lifetimes speak about discipline, focus, faith, and values. In your opinion, what have been some of the key drivers to your success? Yes, absolutely. All those things you mentioned are very important. I think having a good, um, what they call EQ rather than RQ, is very important in a long-term career path. So having your, your head on your shoulders, being self-aware of your own um, strengths, limitations, um, 
uh, what you like, what you dislike, that's that's an important starting point. Of course, knowing your own values, you know, um, your priorities in life, is that family, is that um, career opportunities, you know, where do those uh, rank and how are you going to um, juggle those? Those are all very important um, values that you need to have before before you begin. Having said that, um, after that, what is very important is to take advice from everybody, to be very well-rounded and um, very well-researched in your career choices, because being, um, being forewarned is being forearmed, as they say. So don't go blindly into any particular career path. Know, um, know the space, speak to everyone, be bold and be brave and uh, find out everything you can about a particular field. Um, for me, uh, my role model was my father, who... Um, made me do a lot of inquiry about the STEM fields before I pursued a career in science. And um, in fact, was the reason I, I did a medical career first. I've always wanted to pursue a science um, career, but really from on a discussion with very many stakeholders, the advice was that um, medical, medical degrees gave a very good um, basis for a science career. And therefore I pursued that route, even though it was much longer and not always um, pleasant or not always um, aligned with my own um, passions as I went through. So it's to take a long-term view. It's about the long game, not the short game. Um, be well prepared, be well researched, um, don't cut corners. And um, if you know the end, if you have the end goal in mind, uh, it's much easier to work out the necessary steps to take to get there. Yes, I agree with you. Having the end goal in mind, that helps you plot the journey to reach it. Yes, and, you know, the end goal isn't always immediately apparent. I don't want to give that impression. Um, but I think what people know often from the time they are young is what they enjoy. Um, and it's important to follow that, right? That's the only clue you get. I often say you have to smell out your way. Um, you'll just get a little sense that you like one particular aspect more than a different aspect. And it's important to follow that aspect that is calling you. Um, I can't explain why it calls you or how we know what calls us, but everybody knows what calls them in a slight little way, uh, even though you don't know where it's heading. Um, and it's very important to be true to oneself, to follow that sense of what's calling you. But you don't need to do it in a blind fashion, right? You can do it um, being uh, well prepared uh, for what, you know, by speaking to people who have followed those paths before. It's about being bold and brave enough to um, speak to people, even if they're complete strangers, um, to say, hi, my name is so-and-so. Um, I'm interested in your particular field. Can you talk to me about it? Um, just be bold, just be brave, and people will support you. And lastly, as we close off today's discussion, please can you use this platform in celebration of Women's Day or Women's Month to share a message to girls and women that are listening to the show? Okay, I would like to quote Nkosi Johnson, who was an HIV activist who died at age 12. Um, and what he said that has um, always stuck with me is um, do the good that you can in the time that you have in the place that you are. And I think that is really a profound statement. Um, Let's not always hope to be somewhere better and somewhere uh, different and with different advantages. Let's do what we can with our own resources, where we are, um, when we are. Thanks for that great message. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. 
You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Dr. Melinda Souchard, who is the head of the Center for Vaccines and Immunology in the National Institute for Communicable Disease and also lectures in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Witwatersrand. <laughs>